Welcome to Journey Elgin of Elgin, Texas, where we are living life in Christ, impacting His kingdom. Our service times are Sunday at 9 a.m., followed by a second service at 1045 a.m. Today's message is a new start. Here's Pastor Philip Thomas. All right. So with school starting, uh, or right around the corner, there are some people who are really excited about that. There are some who are not so excited about that. Um, and uh, there are some parents who are really excited that, uh, that school is, is uh, going to be back in session. But uh, there's a house divided. Some are excited, some are not. Yes. <laughs> but but uh, you know, I, I want you to, for a, for a moment, kind of put yourself back when you were in school and you're preparing for a new year. Um, and did you ever have one of those transition years where maybe you had had a tough year before, and so you were really looking forward to the next year. It's like, okay, is this year things are going to be different. It's going to be a new start, right? And, uh, and so you, you, you come in your, in your mind, and you're like, okay, here's how it's going to be different. Here's what's going to change, um, and it's going to be so much better. And what we usually do in that scenario is we're kind of imagining uh, all the other things around us, the people, the settings, all the, the classes, the teachers, that all of them are going to change in some way that make us happier and make the, the year that's going to be better for us. Um, and, and so we all have this, sometimes this dream of a new start, of being able to have a fresh start in something. The thing that a lot of times we, we leave out or maybe don't put enough emphasis on is actually, how do we need to change, <laughs> right? That, that uh, oh, wait, if we want to have a new start, a fresh start in something, maybe we need to look at ourselves as well. You know, what do I need to change? And, and I can remember, this, is, this isn't necessarily the most popular thing to, uh, to call people to do, right? It's a lot easier for us just to be able to point out, well, if that person would change that, this person would change this, uh, then my life would be better. That's kind of how we're conditioned to look at the world. I mean, it, you even, I mean, it, it boils down now. I mean, you see it in everything. You see it in the way that our politics run and all of that. It's all, well, look at how they're doing it. Look at how bad they're doing it. Um, and, and very rarely do we kind of look on the inside. And I think if we're not careful, that can seep into the way that we approach our life. And especially in those times where we know that something just needs to change, right? That, that life is, is not going in the direction that, that, that we would like, um, that we're, we're experiencing more, too much chaos in our life, whatever it may be, that the stress level is, is higher than we would like, that things just don't feel right. Those are those times we need a new start. But the place that we have to start is not looking at everyone else. It's actually looking here. You know, I just took a few classes in seminary on uh, some basic counseling uh, principles. And the, the professor that did, uh, w was in charge of that, one of his big things that he said all the time is the only person that you can change is yourself. And, and, uh, and he, was, he would talk to in, in light of marriage counseling. And this is not the way that all counseling goes. In light of marriage counseling, he was like, you know, 
You, you can point out all the flaws in the world of your spouse. And you can come up with all the possible ideas of how to change them. But the reality is, is the only person that you can change is yourself. So you can either change the way that you relate to your spouse, the way that you engage them. I mean, obviously, it's something that has to work together. But when it comes down to it, the only person that you can control is yourself. And, but we've, we live in a society that is pushing us to basically say, well, why don't they change? You know, and and I, wanna, I want us to think about, especially as we're starting off a new school year, um, as many of us, you're, we, we, we constantly need kind of those new starts in our life, a fresh start to something. And so we're going to be looking at Psalm 51 today. It's, a, it's one of, I, I love Psalms, but uh, this, is a, this is a good one, but it's also a, a very tough one. It's Psalm 51, and, and we'll read it here in just a, just a moment. But uh, Psalm 51 is written by David, um, and he's writing it in response to, uh, to a, a great failure of his. All right? And he's in a, in a pretty bad spot here in Psalm 51, and he's looking for a new start. But kind of leading up to this, we, you have to know the backstory, and it's a very familiar story. But if you remember uh, David, David was a, a, a big figure in the Old Testament, uh, very popular in the, in the uh, Old Testament. He was a hero to many. And, and I'm sure all of you, uh, you know, remember uh, David and Goliath, right? That was one of my favorite, favorite stories, still is. Um, I do, I always have to note that uh, the Sunday school version um, never ends with David standing on top of Goliath holding up his head, but that's actually how the Bible ends. That's kind of awesome. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, but it's, a, it's a great story, right? And we see David being faithful to God because he shouldn't have been able to win that battle, but he was faithful and he trusted God. And you see David trusting God in many ways throughout his life. And in fact, the Bible even calls David, says David was a man after God's own heart, right? So here's a guy who had a deep relationship with God. And you see that all through the Psalms. He writes so many of the Psalms. Um, David experienced injustice and, and as Saul was trying to kill him. Um, he, he experienced those highs and those, those lows, those difficult times. Uh, but then eventually he becomes king. And David is a good king by, by all the measurables. He's a good king. He treats the people well. He, he never um, you know, starts steering the people away from God, which you see in, in a lot of kings. Um, down the road. So he's a good king in that way. Uh, the kingdom is expanded while he's there. So by all those practical measurements, David is, is great. But as David aged and got older and got a little bit more comfortable, and, uh, and as he was still a good leader, he starts delegating, and he st- has a, a battle, and he decides to stay home and send out his troops and his generals who he knew who could take care of it. And, uh, and he just has a lot of time on his hands. And he's king, right? So that's, that's a dangerous combination, right? Whenever you have time on your hands and you can do anything you want, right? <laughs> that basically, uh, worldly, there's no consequences because you're the king. You can make the laws. You know, none of us really know how that feels. We can act like it, and then we can get put in jail, Right? But, uh, but we really don't know what that completely feels like. So David is in this position. And, of course, you know the story of David and Bathsheba. 
Right? He ends up going and he sees Bathsheba who is bathing on her uh, roof and he decides, you know what, I'm the king, I get what I want. And he said, I want her. And so they begin having an affair. She gets pregnant. David's like, well, you know, that that's not, that didn't work out the way I wanted. So how about I get her husband Uriah to come back? Uriah comes back. He is, he's too much of, a, of an honorable soldier, so he doesn't even go and spend time with his wife. And uh, so now David is uh, just getting deeper and deeper in this. And he says, well, I'm the king. I can get rid of this. Put Uriah on the front line so he gets the first arrow, right? And that's basically what happens. Uriah dies in battle because of, the, of David wanting him to do that. So here David is, a man after God's own heart, right? who has now committed adultery and who has also committed murder, right? And, and David kind of just keeps going. I mean, he, you know, you can tell that it obviously he knew that he had done something wrong, but he keeps moving and moving forward until uh, the prophet who he had, had had a relationship with, Nathan, comes to David. And, and it's a great scene. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 14, or 2 Samuel chapter 14, uh, if you uh, want to read that later, um, it's just a, it's a, a great uh, drama scene. If you kind of just imagine David sitting on his throne, right, and, and the prophet Nathan coming in, and, and Nathan comes up with this wonderful story, and uh, the story of a, of a man who loved his, his uh, sheep and took care of his sheep and all of this, and then a rich man comes in and takes the sheep away. And David, you know, the, Nathan does such a good job, you can just feel it, of, of sharing this storytelling. David's just getting madder and madder because he can clearly see the injustice that's happening in this fictitious story. And, uh, and by the end, David is uh, standing up, and I can see him, you know, just uh, raising his fist saying, that man deserves to die, and he deserves to repay the, the poor man who he took the sheep from, and all of this. And then Nathan just lets the... Let's the, that awkward silence hit the room. And then Nathan looks at David and says, you are that man. Right? I mean, just it's, it's a wonderful scene in the Bible. And, and so now all of a sudden, David recognizes and he's called out for what he has done, for what he already knew was wrong. But now he's been confronted with it. And Psalm 51 is what David writes after this. Uh, and there's lots of things that happen. Um, this event messes with David's life. He, uh, it, his family is never the same. Uh, his family would be in turmoil uh, for the rest of the time. There's lots of consequences that came from David's actions. He did not get off easy. But yet, he is still considered to be a man after God's own heart. And so whenever I think of new starts... I think David experienced a new start here. And so let's read through Psalm 51 and kind of see some of the things that are important to finding a new start uh, in our lives with God. So the first, start with the first six verses of Psalm 51. David says this, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, 
so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. All right, so the first, first thing that we see David doing is he's acknowledging his sin. He's acknowledging, man, I messed up. That can be pretty hard for us to acknowledge that. It's bad enough just acknowledging whenever we've done something wrong. But uh, whenever you actually are talking with sin, that becomes even more difficult. And it's compounded in difficulty because of this, the culture and the society we live in. Right? We live in a society that, doesn't, that is very uncomfortable naming things as sin or naming behaviors as completely wrong. Right? We, we, we're really uncomfortable with that. And some of that is because of some of the ways that the church has come across as being very judgmental and hyper-judgmental on things. And so there's been a, a, a reaction to that that basically says, okay, well, let's just not be judgmental towards anything. Right? I understand that, but that's, that's not a healthy way to approach things. At some point, we need to be able to look at our lives and say, you know what, this, this isn't good. Right? This needs to change. And so what David did is he acknowledged, hey, I've messed up, and I messed up in a serious way. I mean, you read, that's some heavy language. I mean, you know, he says, I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Surely I was sinful at birth. I mean, he recognizes, man, I have messed up. And he also recognizes the seriousness of it by saying, have mercy on me, O God. He knows what he deserves, right? And so we see that, and we see him struggling with that, and and it should be, we, we talk about this a lot in the confines of the church, of recognizing your sin, of, of where you messed up. But if we're honest, we're not really good at it, right? Again, because society is constantly saying, don't do that, right? And, and, uh, and so we fall into that trap. And one of the easiest things we do is we rationalize. How many times have we rationalized our behavior, right? And we just constantly rationalize and rationalize and uh, saying, well, that's just the way that it's done now. You know, David had that opportunity. He was king. He literally could do whatever he wanted. In fact, his actions were expected of kings. Right? It was expected that if kings saw a, a beautiful woman that they wanted, they could take the beautiful woman. Right? It was, if, if a king wanted to put someone to death, they could put someone to death. Society would not, at that time, society would not look down on David for doing that, right? In fact, if you look at the surrounding nations, David's actions right there still make him the most moral king in, the, in that day and time. Right? The things that were being done, were his, his sin paled in comparison, and don't we do the same thing? We can easily start looking at society around and say, oh, well, that's just kind of expected now. It's okay for me to live that way. That's the way that, that society says. Or then we start comparing and we say, yeah, I know that probably I shouldn't be doing this or thinking this way or living this way, but, but look at all of those people. Man, they're a lot worse than me. Right? 
And so we start rationalizing, and, uh, and, and maybe we even have some valid points, right? But the, the problem is, is that we very rarely will we go to that point where we say, you know what? No, I truly have messed up. I truly am living a way that I shouldn't live. And it's, this doesn't just apply to sin. Sometimes we're just living an unhealthy lifestyle of some sort. And maybe it's not technically sin, but it's really leading us to have a really rocky life. We need to be able to acknowledge that. Get to that point where we say, okay, here's what I am doing. And David gets to that point and he acknowledges his sin. And then he shows a desire to change. There in verse 7, it says, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will, and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. And so here David is desiring to change. He's recognized what he's done, and now he wants to actually change. And that's, a, that's another important aspect to finding a new start, a fresh start, is that we have to want to change. You know, there are those times that we kind of look at our life and we, maybe we acknowledge, yeah, that's probably not the best way that I should be living. But then we say, yeah, but you know what? It's easier just to keep living that way. I don't really want to put in the work to make the changes necessary. Right? And those are human things, okay? So don't think, oh, I'm just the worst person in the world because I feel that. No, that's, that's part of this, you know, separation from God that we have. But we need to have that desire to change if we are truly going to experience a new start in God. Then it continues on. Verse 10 is probably one of my favorite verses. It says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. And then the bulls will be offered on the altar. So he starts this off of this verse in verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So David's acknowledged where he's fallen short. He's acknowledged his sin. He's expressed this desire to change. And now he wants that change to actually happen. And I, I think it's important, and the reason I read all of that is sometimes we think, okay, whenever we acknowledge that we've been living a way that we shouldn't, we say, well, we need to make up for that. And we, so we need to start doing really good. And, uh, and sometimes that becomes, oh, well, I guess we need to start going to church. Okay, good. That's wonderful. But just going to church doesn't really change who you are in here. Right? And that, the passage said, God doesn't just want sacrifices, which that's a huge statement back then because the sacrificial system was huge. That was a major part of their relationship with God. 
it was important for them to offer sacrifices. But here David is saying, that's not what you want. You don't want just for us to go through the motions and to pretend that we're a good Christian or a good follower of God. You don't want us just to come to, to worship and lift our hands and sing and stuff like that. No, you want something more. You want our hearts to actually become steadfast, to become clean again. And the way that that happens is not just by doing outward things. It's by actually having a broken and contrite heart. And those are two words that make us feel pretty uncomfortable. We, we don't live in a culture that rewards a broken and contrite spirit. In fact, if you, if you show that you are broken or contrite in any way, usually you get run over, right? But what God is saying is that's how we need to approach him. And being contrite is being repentant, is recognizing what we have done and desiring to change that, to allow him to change who we are on the inside. That's how we find a new start, is recognizing where we're messing up, recognizing where we have fallen short of what God wants from us, and then saying, God, I want you to change me. I want to start changing from the inside out. I don't want to just do superficial stuff and kind of start going to church. No, I want to develop my relationship with you so that you start changing me from the inside. And then it gets to that point. It says, create in me a pure spirit a, and renew a steadfast spirit within me, right? A steadfast spirit, a spirit that then continues on, that gives us strength to become the people that God desires for us to be so that we actually allow ourselves to be broken. And then that will lead to outward living. Right? And he says that I will now teach the transgressors. Because why? Because he's one. He knows what it's like. He knows that people aren't perfect. And so now he's going to live in his life in a way that shows redemption, that redemption can be had. And so this does lead to living a life that should lead to you coming to church and lead to you worshiping and doing all of those things. And, and that's where he acknowledges at the end the sacrifices are still good. Doing that is good, but what is the most important is what's going on in here. And that in order to have a new start, and I think we all need new starts, right? In order for that to happen, man, we have to acknowledge where we need help. We have to acknowledge those places that we have given over to sin, those places in our life that we have not given over to God completely, those things that we hold on to, we need to acknowledge that. We need to have a desire to change it. And then we need to actually allow ourselves to be broken before him so that he can start changing who we are on the inside. And then that will lead to living a new life in him, a life that points people to the redemption and to the grace and the life-changing power of Christ. I want to encourage you this week to think about where you are in life, what you're going through, and to be very honest about it and just ask God to give you a new start and to open yourself up to the life-changing power of Christ. And guess what? It won't be comfortable to really be honest with yourself. 
And, you know, it's going to be really hard to fight that temptation to say, oh, well, what about them? Or what about this? Or what about that? No, but truly look on the inside and allow him to start healing you and to making you into the person that he created you to be so that you can live a life for him each and every day. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you. I thank you for the fact that you are a forgiving God and a God who allows us to experience your redemption even when we fail you. Lord, and I pray that you will create a right heart in us. That you will give us a steadfast spirit. Lord, give us the strength to be broken and contrite before you so that you can heal us and to make us into the people that you have created us to be. Lord, we thank you that we can be truly alive in you when we open ourselves up to you and allow you to change our hearts. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Elgin. Come check us out. We're located at 1221 North Avenue C, Elgin, Texas 78621. You can contact us at www.journeyelgin.org or call us at 512-661-8411. That's 512-661-8411. We hope to see you soon and may God bless you.